This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Tuesday morning to you, broadcasting, not live, but if I was, I'd be broadcasting from Anchorage, Alaska, can do a little post-traumatic winning today, up here, yeah, fired up about it too, first time I've ever done it with a, a squadron from the United States Air Force, I've done it for conferences, I've done it for commanders conferences and all kinds of stuff, but today's the first and I'm excited about it. So, um, last week, because I was a little bit overcome by events in my travels and speaking and whatnot, uh, there was something happened that I thought the Mensa brothers should address in short order. So I convened them over the weekend to record something about what General Newbold wrote, uh, published initially in Task and Purpose and then all over the internet. Uh, General Newbold is a guy who's lived speaking truth to power. And he wrote an article about what he calls critical military doctrine. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, We're also going to talk about comments made by Brigadier General Farrell Sullivan. And I would tell you this. Leaders speak truth regardless of of its impact on their career. And that that is a dividing line for leaders, especially for general officers, especially for sergeant majors. Will they do so at the peril of their future employment? And the good ones don't hesitate. But most of them, who I would label as high-functioning conformists, they slice it, they dice it, they spin it, and they stay away from the truth. And that is why the DOD is in the shape that it's in. We don't have enough people that will look it straight in the face and tell the truth. Period. So, I convened my friends, Jeff, Tim, and Will, in no specific order, uh, over the weekend, to talk about that, specifically to address that stuff. And we do. So, without any further messing around, my friends, the Mensa Brothers. Uh, this is kind of a special edition of uh, the Mensa Brothers, and uh, I felt genuine remorse after I called them all motherfuckers for keeping me up late the other night. But that was only for, very for a few minutes, and then I got over it. 
But um, a couple things happened late last week, and I was kind of tied up speaking, and uh, I thought we should do kind of a special edition of uh, the Mensa Brothers. And the two things I saw, one is an article written by Greg Newbold, uh, Lieutenant General, United States Marine Corps, retired, uh, who, who I will tell you um, is one of the icons, certainly one of my icons, because um, to me, the test of a leader is, would you be honest and tell the truth at the detriment to your own career? And that is, that is the dividing line. And some will do it, most of them will not. And I don't know what that breakdown is, but I would say 90-10, right? Most people are custodians of their career before they will do some at the, something at the detriment of their own career. The other person who did it was a breeder general, uh, Farrell Sullivan. And uh, in his testimony, he called, essentially calls out the Biden administration and, uh, and, uh, and talks about the, the things that they did that um, um, impacted the non-combatant evacuation operation at uh, the Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul, and that takes that takes fucking guts. And so I, I, I had a chance to read those on, things on the plane on Friday coming back or Thursday coming back, and then I thought I'd contact uh, Jeff, Will, and Tim and say, "Hey, we need to talk about this because I think people." And then I started getting phone calls from people saying. Hey, are you guys going to talk about this, right? You need to. And I said, I said yes. Um, so here we are. Joining me from, I'm not sure, because we're recording this on Saturday. It's a weekend. He might be in the Eastern White House, or he might be in the Western White House. Jeffrey, where where is you? I is near the beach. Oh. I call it the, I call it the, the, this is like San Clemente. So like Richard Nixon, I'm here in San Clemente right now. Uh, the other place I call the Desert Inn, that's in uh, Vegas. That's, so you have you the know. Desert Inn and the Tricky Dick event. That's it, man. And that's, this is like a tricky. I'm going to call it that the Tricky Dick, Dick Suite in the Cannery Row fucking hotel, man. The, uh, and the American people have to know their president mm-hmm. is not a crook. And I'm not a crook. <laughs> and I'm not a crook. Beep. At. One o'clock today, the vice president will assume the duties of the presidency of the United States. What? Wait a minute. He just said he wasn't a crook, was he? Oh, might have been. Might have been. Uh, so that's Jeffrey's in San Clemente, just down the road. It is hotter than shit here on the on the West Coast, man. It was in the nineties yesterday along the coast. How hot was? Is, will Will it get to be ninety down there? Uh, it may. I PT this morning. It was. I mean, I didn't have to wear a fucking long sleeve shirt. It's already 73 degrees, so it may not be as hot today. Uh, yesterday down the ocean side was 85, so um, yeah, I don't that. know what we'll get to. Currently, in here in beautiful Costa Mesa, California, it's 77, looking for a high today of 86 degrees. Um, joining me from McAllen, Texas, is Timothy Lynch. Tim's all bundled up in his gray sweatshirt. Timmy, but uh, no hoodie on. His, he had a, his black rifle hoodie on, camouflage type. Um, but he's got his cool guy glasses on. Are those tortoise shell glasses? Are these? I don't. I don't. I don't know. My wife got them from me. They got they that are. tint in them that's supposed to to make my my eyes less stressed by reading. Yeah. So you got a little tortoise shell high tech thing going. They. I mean, uh-huh. you look smarter. If I look smarter, then I feel smarter. I think that's uh, that's one of the shibboleths of today's society. If you look, I feel, and I look marvelous. If you look smarter, you feel smarter. Are you sure about that? 
Uh, maybe not, because uh, my grammar sometimes <laughs> betrays me. But I feel smart, yes. Despite right. my he grammar. Shibboleth. He said shibboleth. You got to get on him about that, Mike. I, I'm not, what does it mean? I know what it means. And and he knows yeah, I can't be doing that. <laughs> I can't ask Tim what the words he says means. <laughs> Come on, man. No, I, it, I mean, hey, I'll tell you what. Really if you do this to me, one? if you do this to me again, where you fucking <laughs> pulled the fucking podcast expert shit on me, I'm going to be fucking pissed. It's I'm a, not. I, I, I'm not going to. I could probably come up with it, something close to what it means, but it's uh, a twenty-dollar word right. for bullshit, man. Is what it is. <laughs> there it's you like, go. Uh, yeah, it's like Huckleberry Finn said. I don't know. Nobody knows what it means. It's just a damn good word. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I bet you it's dropped fifteen degrees in the last two hours. We get storm coming in, and it and it plummeted temperature-wise here. No kidding. As it does, yeah. All right, um, and then joining me, I'm not even going to try to say his last name, Will. Uh, Will, what's your middle name? Richard. Oh, there you go. Will Dick. Will Dick joins us <laughs> now. Bonnie Dick. Named after my... Uh, Bonnie Dick C. Yeah, named after my godfather. Who was your, oh. go- who was your godfather? Was, Richard uh, Nixon. <laughs> was one of my uncles uh, by marriage. So my dad's older sister's husband, Richard Kowalczyk. Was my uh, godfather? Whoa. Bohunk. Yeah. Whoa. Yep. That's not too much Italian in that name. A lot of consonants too. Oh yeah. Were his eyes set a little closer in his head than yeah. most people, or a little wider? Because no, a good guy. He used to. Uh, my grandmother owned a house that had two floors, so they they lived upstairs the whole time I was growing up. So every time I go down there, we see him. Um. All right. Uh, you want to give us? And by the way. It's 27 here, and we are going to peak at 32 today. Congratulations, but it's a dry 32, and you got that going for you, right? Yeah. I guess all my global warming efforts throwing those plastic bottles in the trash only work on the West Coast. So, Well, this is just your basic Santa Ana, and it's so, I mean, they happen, yeah. right? So it's nothing It's got to be global warming. No, it's, na- it's natural. Mm-hmm. It's natural. So you and mm-hmm. your plastic bottles, sorry. Sorry, bro. I wish I could help you out on that deal. And I need I need to make one correction. I was under the impression that every episode is a special edition. No, here. I'm so you're oh, wrong. You're wrong uh, about that. I'm still waiting for you. I'm I can't. I can't believe that you accepted Jeffrey's brother's fucking criticism of you in the container. He was about fifty percent right, and you just you didn't say a fucking word. I was like, whoa. Look, so Jeff's brother being related to Jeff. I think of the intelligence that that comes from. It's not nice to insult people like that on the radio. That Actually, can't back, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he uh, he didn't say that fifty percent. I looked. I went back and read his text. He said it was mostly right, but um, well, there's some kind of s- small detail. But he deals with, uh, you know. Um, containers coming off ships. So he not didn't say in. that. Jeff yeah, just he, did it again. Jeff just did it again. What he Will, said, Will sets him up with a beautiful insult, and Jeff comes back and says, "No, Will was mostly right." Yeah. What the well, hell no, is going on? Why are you? Uh, why are, does Will have something? Uh, well, that's a stupid question. Of, of course, course he, he does. Of man. Course he does. <laughs> <laughs> I've known him longer. Than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even need to ask that motherfucker, man. <laughs> uh, it's like but, I'll tell you. The thing about it is, though, I was talking to Joey Butterfuco about this. Uh, yesterday as a matter of fact 
Will is a dick, man. He's a dick. And but but you get so used to it after a while, it doesn't even register anymore. You know what I mean? And you just get the uh, oh, you his, know, his the, personality the info. Yeah, it's just his personality. What do you think you're doing? What the fuck? Over? Come on, I, I Jeff or Dan? <laughs> no, that's or no Joe. No, God <laughs> damn it! That but. <laughs> Jeff, that's that's when he's disgusted with you. No, that's when he's well. He's, sometimes he's trying to sell you on something. He does that. So he's, when he he's when, pretty, he, when yeah. he when he thinks you're being stupid. No, he's trying to make you. He's trying to convince you of something because he and what that it's so uh, it's so transparent because you know his true nature is. He, I'm not convincing. I'm just telling you to do it. You know, if he's in that position. So you know, it's, you know, it's the way. Just the way relationships go, I guess. As I used to say, the seniority system is really good, particularly if you're senior. So, <laughs> <laughs> right? The um, all right, let's uh, let's talk uh, Greg Newbold before we talk about his article. Um, that his little uh, opinion piece that he wrote that appeared in Task and Purpose and and really got all over the internet. Um, uh, we know I I I. Never crossed paths with General Newbold um, uh, in uh, when I was at, on active duty. Um, I but I certainly saw the waves that he made uh, when he resigned as what the J three um, um, during the run up to Iraq. He is one of the absolutely few people that stands on terra firma in terms of I will speak truth to power and ultimately. Um, if I cannot support the decisions of the President of the United States and the people p appointed under him, I will take my leave. And he did. And, uh, and, and history has judged him, right, to be one of the few people that had the moral courage to stand up and do the right thing um, relative to Don Rumsfeld, Don Rumsfeld's flawed course of action and his flawed vision. And, uh, and so to me, Greg Newbold is, uh, is somebody who... I mean, has earned everybody's respect and did something that, that only one other person did, and that is Eric Shinseki, General Shinseki, when Shinseki was asked in public how many people it take to um, to garrison Iraq in the post-war period, and General Shinseki has the unmitigated gall to quote the war plan, and he gets shown the door. Um, and so, anyway, uh, few and far between, I would say. Um, so uh, just uh, did you ever meet him, um, and what were your thoughts when it happened? So, Jeffrey, uh, did you ever meet him, and uh, what were your thoughts when it happened? No, I never met him. I just heard about him from uh, people who knew him. And, uh, and it's funny that, you know, Mac, you talk about how you read the article, you heard it, and uh, sim simultaneously of you sending us this thing, I got, uh, uh, you know, emails and texts from like Colonel Coates and others sending the same thing. And Colonel Coates is always a huge fan of General Newbold. He thought he should have been commandant um, in that period there when we got General Hagee. And uh, so, you know, this is uh, – he's highly respected throughout the force, obviously. And uh, and the thing about it that uh, is impressive to me is uh, he's not like a war hero type guy where, like, you know, we had General Zinni, General uh, Smith – Etul Smith, I'm talking about General Livingston, both Livingstons, highly decorated guys from Vietnam. He wasn't. He never was in combat. 
He's just a solid guy who always did his job and always told the truth and very, very intelligent. And, uh, and ultimately, a man with uh, demonstrable moral courage, which a lot of people with a lot of, uh, you know, decorations for physical courage don't display. And we've seen that, you know. This is a guy who told the truth, and he told it flat and cold and, you know, uh, without, you know, without any kind of tact, unnecessary tact or trying to dress it up. He just said it, which is, you know, and – when we went through the article, you go through the article, there's a, there's a reason for that because that's the type of thing um, that, you know, at its most basic is most valued in the combat situation. Good information and, you know, and, uh, and, and good advice unvarnished by, uh, you know, by things that soften it to make it go down better. Um, Will, how about you? Did you did you know him, and what were your thoughts back in two thousand three when uh, when he did resign his position prior to the war? Interesting. I never I never knew him, but I talked to him twice and exchanged email. When I was getting ready to retire, um, someone connected me to him. I think it was General Whistler, and you know he was he was. This is two thousand thirteen, so it's ten years later, and he was involved in some private equity and other things, and. Um, I think I had two phone calls with him where he didn't know me from Joe Blow, but was offering advice on how to transition and, uh, and just really thoughtful and, you know, generous leadership, uh, type of thing. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I don't remember, I, I don't think I've, I remember the controversy because I was, I was in the headquarters at that time, and I'm not sure how public it was at the time. And I don't know that he resigned or, or that he was, uh, you know, he sent retired. Out. Yeah, um, retired. Yeah. So, uh, and 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 that's relevant that I don't necessarily remember it at the time because. Hey, 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 Will. When you say headquarters, which headquarters were you a part of? Headquarters, Marine Corps. Okay, and you, but you were shortly headed to First Marine Division, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, but I was. I mean, I was in the building when the war kicked off. So, um, what what makes it relevant that I don't necessarily remember it is that he didn't go out with some big look at me. You know, I'm the smart guy here. I say this is the wrong course of action. Um, I, I think the history is, is that as they're formulating how they're going to execute, uh, the invasion, he's the J three. Uh, so he likely has a seat in the tank and the sec def is in there. The service chiefs are in there. Uh, CENTCOM is in there. They all sit at the table and typically the J three sits on the wall and is sort of speak only when spoken to, but undoubtedly the chairman brings a J3 into the conversation. Um, and it seems he was attempting to give best military advice. And that was not within, you know, the Rumsfeld personality. Uh, Rumsfeld, when he made a decision, um, or I, I believe not even when he made a decision, when they were having the discussion uh, I think it was Rumsfeldian 
to not necessarily look for alternative points of view or dissenting right. opinions. Right. And um, so you end up in groupthink and down the garden path we go. So right. I, don't, I don't necessarily remember all of that from that time, but obviously you've read about it since then. But I would say my personal interaction with him 10 years later as just a senior guy who'd retired who was a bright flashing node in the Marine Corps, you know, trying to help guys out uh, as they transitioned. And uh, nothing ever really came of anything that we talked about other than I just said, you know what, for a guy I never met, never knew, uh, really just, you know, great guy to talk to and uh, good advice. So, I think in that in those circumstances, I think they call the council, the council of senior members of the military like that, don't they call that best advice? That the secretary, well, the, the secretary would look for the best advice, right? I think that's what that's known as. Yeah, I mean, and that's what the Joint Chiefs are supposed to be doing. In theory. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that, I mean, here, how I see the meeting in the tank going is, as they're briefing the war plan uh, or the whole planning thing, the J3 is sort of coordinating that and may actually be the speaker in the tank. Um and so I'm sure Rumsfeld is shooting questions at him, at Tommy Franks. When you say the, the speaker, you mean the speaker? You say the speaker. You mean the briefer? The briefer, right? The briefer. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Tim, you ever cross paths with General Newbold, and then uh, do you remember his re his resignation uh, before the war? I remember the resignation before the war. I recognize him. I'm pretty sure he took over the 15th Mew behind uh, then Colonel Frank Labuti. And and uh, I was part of uh, the the MU when uh, we were the, the ground combat element for for I guess it's General Labuti retired, and so I I recognize him from that. I do believe he spent a lot of time with us uh, in the workout prior to going over. But I that's the only only thing I do is recognize him. I had no interaction with him. I was a second lieutenant. Got it. Got it. And uh, any thoughts when he did resign? When you saw that? Let me tell you why I remember why I remember it. Um, the burning bush, General Zinni, as he's known here, um, he came out and said, you know, he, he had left the CENTCOM. Uh, he had uh, then become the U.S. Special Envoy to the Middle East, right? And when General Zinni, you know, in, in, in an interview said, I don't know what planet they're on. You know, you can afford to do about six of these things with the money that you get in CENTCOM. This is like eight or nine on the list dealing with this stuff, right? And, um, and, and let me just tell you this. If Tony Zinni said, General Zinni said, eat Skippy peanut butter, I would head to Costco and buy, right, a gallon of it and eat it. Because, I mean, he's, for me, he's always, I mean, he is a truth teller. And he's not afraid to say it, and he's got incredible experiences, leadership experience across the board. And when a guy like that says that, I remember reading the, seeing that, and I was like, "Holy shit, man!" The burning bush says that. Like, well, let me now start delving into it. And then you see General Newbold, and then you saw the stories about General Van Riper and the war gaming of it, right? Right. And you're like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. But anyway, that that's that's why. Um, so that was probably. The third thing, so you saw Zinni come out and state that publicly, and then I'm not sure if if the 
if the Van Riper stuff came out before or after the war. I think it might have come out afterwards and then Newbold. And so I, I remember it kind of in that sequence. Well, well let me make a confession to you. I, and I've, I've got to be perfectly frank. I, I remember Newbold uh, resigning over that. But at that time, at that damn devil Rumsfeld was doing those pressers where he was skewering reporters. And I was enjoying watching him hoist those reporters on their own petard that I was rooting for. Um, granted, at the time, I was not I was retired. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to what was going on because I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to go uh, over, uh, get back on active duty because of medical conditions. And 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 uh, I, I've got to confess, at the time, I thought Rumsfeld was the shit. I mean, I, he was I just loved watching him torture the press because my opinion of the press has always been um, about what most of America thinks of it now. So I have to confess I missed the significance of it. And I really didn't understand uh, what kind of a, of a man General Newbold was until he made that stand and you guys started talking about it. But I, I recognize him for sure. But I, you know, as a second lieutenant, what, what do I know from a new commander? Got it. All right, let's talk about um, let's talk about the opinion piece that he wrote. Uh, as I said, it appears in task and purpose. There's a hyperlink in here in this uh, in this uh, podcast. Uh, the headline reads: A retired Marine three-star general explains critical military theory, uh, and that is in quotes. And then uh, it says opinion by Greg Newbold. Um, so we'll start with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, um, give me a uh, give me a quote. Um, that, uh, and we'll go around once. Um, he, every, he goes through, I think 10 different items, if I'm not mistaken, is there 10 or nine? He goes through nine different mm -hmm. items and, and he has quotes at the end of each, um, at the end of each item. So he, he'll introduce a subject. And then at the end of that, he has this thing called relevant wisdom and he uses a, a quote, um, your favorite quote out of uh, out of all of those? Yeah, all of them are really great. So that was a difficult task to figure out my favorite one. But let me just paraphrase. Uh, it's number nine. Uh, you know, those who enlist in our military swear an oath to carry out dangerous, sometimes fatal duties. We call it being in the service because it's service to others. Selfless sacrifices when the other option is often more comfort, freedom, individuality, and higher pay. And those who occupy the most senior ranks of the military must repay this selflessness, selflessness, repay this selflessness with courage that is even rarer, moral courage. So that's, uh, that's the, the relevant part of that quote. It's a very good quote goes on and talks about the Iraq thing and everything. But uh, the irrelevant wisdom I'm going to read now is from George Patton. There's a great deal of talk, he says, there's a great deal of talk about loyalty from the bottom to the top. Loyalty from the top down is even more necessary and is much more prevalent, much less prevalent, much less prevalent. And that has always been a pet peeve of mine, is when the people who are running things uh, are disloyal to the troops they lead, insult them, cast aspersions on them. We've been seeing that lately. You know, they're too immature. They're not smart enough. They're not well-trained enough. You know. Blaming that they're the ones who always do what they're asked and usually succeed if they're led well enough. And they're also and, yet, and, and they're also the one that pay the price too. Yes, exactly right. And so that that quote or the you know the ninth paragraph there is a, what I thought was uh, not the most compelling either because 
I mean, I left you guys a lot of meat there before that one, you know, because right. everything in it is fucking dead on, I thought. Right. Um, Will, how about you? Yeah, so before we start, I would just say that, that every meeting of the Senate Armed Services Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, every time the Joint Chiefs get together, they ought to read this thing out loud, sort of like the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, obviously, the quote, the relevant wisdom that I liked the most was underneath paragraph five. <laughs> they enjoy playing poker with someone else's chips. <laughs> you know, and the idea, you know, the whole idea behind that is uh, it's easy to gamble when you don't have any skin in the game. And uh, you can never be in a position um where you're gambling people's lives in the future of the country. Uh, you've got to have skin in. And uh, and that would tell you then you only do things um, that are right and critical and necessary. Tim? For the for the relevant wisdom quote, I, I being a, um, <laughs> I, I just can't help it. We will not fight them. They are not normal. When we shoot at them, they run towards us. If we fight them, we die. They are worse than the sons of Satan. Now, in the article, it says Taliban radio intercept after engaging U.S. forces, which is not true. That's a Taliban radio intercept after engaging Marines and Hellman, which I know for a fact because I was shown that exact bit of intelligence by a friend. And so I love that relevant wisdom. But the, but the point that stands out in this thing uh, for me is, is, is the number three. The, there is only one overriding standard for military capability, lethality. The office holders who dilute this core truth with civil society's often appropriate priorities, diversity, gender, focus, et cetera, undermine the military's chances for success in combat. And I referenced the two articles I sent to you guys today um, um, from today's, from, from today's uh, um, news aggregator. One is on diversity, equity, inclusion as being a priority. And the other is on a U.S. Army going green and announcing they're going to have a fleet of electric cars by 2050 and be carbon neutral. And I mean, you, 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 know, you read this and then you see what's in the news and you've got to shake your head. Yeah, you know, um, the quote that uh, and, and I did a whole uh, a number of stories about this. But uh, so the quote I would give you is. Uh, number eight, it is his back which sustains the heaviest burden, his body which suffers the greatest hardship, and his life which is suspended by the most tenuous thread, and that is by Captain Adolf von Schell, right? And uh, and General Newell talks about standards, and, and, and we hear all the time that we're not going to lower standards, and that is the preparatory command for the command of execution, what it says, lower the standards, right? And then they stand in front of us and they tell us they didn't lower the standards and they fucking do. And, and you watch this and you're like, how do you sleep at night? How, how, how do you do this? Because the butcher bill, as somebody's going to pay it and it's going to be in the lives of young American humans. And so, um, and he uses the example of, um, of uh, the, the ground combat integration study which was assassinated by people that never even read it, right? And the Marine Corps undertook that 
as a, in an effort to buy, to provide empirical data to this decision, right? That was going to impact the very very pointy end of the spear, and it was uh, the Secretary of the Navy, Ray Mabus, shot it before it even got saw the light of day. I mean, because Mabus is, is a political fucking hack, and 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 he does he did what political fucking hacks do. He took an oath to the nation, right? And that that nation, the, the oath was to support and defend. What he did was he played stupid political games because that's what Mavis is. He's a political hack, right? And his moral obligation was to look at that. What are the implications of this decision? Now, if, 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 the, if the civilian leaders of the, of the government say, we're doing it anyway, then so be it. And so... Um, Again, I, I've, I've watched that thing, and I've seen this discussion evolve, and uh, it's just disgusting when you watch it. And and I I got so much email from people that participated in the ground combat integration study, you know, saying you know this was so disheartening. General Smith ran it, right? And I mean, we had we had there were great people that were involved in that, and General Dunford made sure there were, so it would come out with integrity. And they said, you know, these Marines, they were good Marines. They tried their hardest in everything that we did. And the data is what the data is. And it's, it was so discouraging to watch the whole report be shit on because it did not support this narrative, right? And the narrative says this, right? We have separate sports for boys and girls because if we just have one soccer team or we just have one swim team, there will be no girls on that team. There may be the, the unicorn every once in a while, Right, but that's why we have high school, middle school, elementary school, gender separate athletics. Right, we we have an NBA and a WNBA. Right, um, we have separations of sports, but when then, then it comes to combat, oh no, we're all we're all capable, equal, and that's the narrative. And if you push back on that in public, there's the fucking door, motherfucker. Do not interrupt our fucking narrative. And so I think our point consistently is, look, I don't care who you have sex with. I don't even give a fuck what gender you are. But if you can pass these rigorous standards, then come on fucking in. But we will not drop this shit for you. And we get we get our back pissed down, and then they tell us it's raining, and we're expected to nod. Right? Yep. We're expected use- to fucking nod, and just go ahead and color, boys and girls. This is the fucking game we're playing. And it's disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. And we don't have enough leaders that will stand up like General Newbold did, right? Like General Sullivan did in public and tell the fucking truth. So. Yeah, Mac, let's go through what Sullivan did again. Okay. Well, hold on. Hold on. Does any any points out of any other points? Let me just tell you if you haven't read General Newbold's article, as Will said, it, it should be the preamble for, as a reminder, this is what we're doing here. This is about war fighting. Ultimately, you will bet your life and the lives of the people that you lead, right? Any other thoughts, any other quotes that you want to pull out of here and talk about before we talk about General Sullivan? I just want to say, you know, the, he frames this thing in one of the most powerful things. What's the problem? You know? He very narrowly goes down and identifies priorities and standards. So it's just a great question to ask when the whirlwind is out there. What is the problem? He narrowly gets to it. And as a result, 
So I'm reading this thing online. Is this even two pages? No. If you print it no. out. Four. It's about two pages. Four and a quarter, depending I mean, on your, your font, 11 size font. I don't know if it's a thousand words. I mean, is it five minutes to read it? Yeah. But right. it's unbelievably cogent, easily defined, completely defensible. And I would love for someone, again, to bring that into a committee meeting or use this when, when they're in the SASC uh, having service chiefs come in to testify. What part of this don't you agree with? I, I, then, I don't agree with one part of it, Okay, which makes it worse, right? At the very start of the article, right, he says this, many Americans, particularly our most senior politicians and military leaders, seem to have developed a form of dementia. Okay, so what is, the, what is dementia? Dementia is a disease that affects your ability, right? To remember. To reason. remember. That's not, I would say. Right, they don't, yeah, exactly. It's not that they can't. They never had it. Ex exactly. To me, the problem's worse. And that is, they, I would tell you, they do remember, but, but this is going to come a, a, at a cost to the personal cost to them if they stand up and tell the truth and they're not willing to pay, pay that price. So I would tell you the situation is even more dire than General Newbold because it is a willful decision. I was yeah. watching uh, a couple weeks ago, the 49ers, yeah. the 49ers were playing the Rams, right? And so I woke up, and I, I think I was flying the next day, and so I was up early, and I was, I was uh, doing shit to get ready to leave. And so I have the NFL network on at like 7 in the morning out here. And I saw, and they were talking about, um, I can't remember, a, a running back, and he's a big man, right? And Michael Urban said this. He said, you know, when you're a defensive back and he comes through the line, you have to make a business decision. <laughs> <laughs> I start laughing, right? Whether you are going to take that man on or not. He said, because it could be a life-altering experience for you. <laughs> and so these situations, right, that involve, right, global warming as a premier threat to the American military, that involved extremism as another premier threat to the American military, and you watch these people stand up in public and say this shit. And then we go, and then, we, then they do this big investigation. And the report comes out on, this, on the night of December 23rd, right? As they leak it out during the holidays, because they didn't find shit. In a force of 1.4 million people, they find what? I think the report less than, 50. it was 99.995. And we'll quietly, quite accurately point it out. If in anything I did, if I could get to 90%, right, I was over the top, right? And so to me, the problem's worse. It isn't dementia. It is a willful act of moral cowardice. And that is a problem inside the Department of Defense at the most senior levels. The, the thing that touches me is that as you read this thing, does he sound angry? Does he, he's just putting a reason argument. And I'm thinking back to our Daily Stoic. I mean, just recently, there is nothing more stupefying than anger, nothing more bent on its own strength. And because you read this stuff, it's hard for me not to be angry. And and uh, but I love the way that he that he approaches this. And he epitomizes. I, I remember showing up at OCS. It was the first time in my life where I was surrounded by a lot of dudes 
who were smarter, faster, stronger, and every bit as mean as I was. Talk about having to raise your game to be part of or even start to get near the, the, the you know, above the 50th percentile of your peers. And, and, and General Newbold's one of those guys who, by his example himself, can inspire people. And I just, I just, I just, I think back to one of my better days in the Helmand province. I went to Nawa to do a payday, so I had all my, uh, I had my Lashkar with me, and I was all jocked up, but I was looked like an Afghan, and I fooled two battalion commanders who knew me. What's, a, what's, and, what's a Lashkar? Oh, my little, my little, I had an armed posse of former, probably former Taliban, it might be Taliban now, but at the time, I, I would always travel with a, my own crew. Your, po- your, so, own, your own posse? My own posse. And I remember talking to him and I was leaving Nawa and I saw this patrol coming in and the, the, the point guy, and I could see who the sergeant was because he's about three back. They are fucking fuming. And I thought they had been hit or they had something going on. And I jammed the car and I got out. Of course, I'm all hodged up and they just ignored me. And then I looked at the end of the patrol was, uh, what do they call this? A FET team? A FET, FET team. team. Not a one of them, not a one of them carrying a weapon. Most of them without their body armor. Marines in the front of them are, are, are humping their armor, humping their weapons. And these girls are hanging on to the back of the belt of the Marine in front of them and stumbling to the uh, to the to the close of the patrol. I, I almost took a picture, but I, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to I didn't want to remember that. Th- that kind of shit. I only saw once, but then again, I wouldn't be in a position to see it a whole hell of a lot more. That can't be an exception. I got a feeling that was probably the rule. Granted, it was very, very hot, about 110 out and whatnot. No, you, you, I got a lot of experience with that particular issue. Yeah, uh, and I'll tell you what, that is that was the that was the rule, and, and that's uh, 10, 12 years ago, bro. Yeah, and we're still that's talking why, about this. That's why we got rid of them in 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the if you went from battalion commander down, the Fets got uniformly bad reviews for exactly that type of stuff. But when I got to, when I went to the white house to watch Meyer get his medal of honor, I met general Amos and sorry, major, whoever that guy was. Um, and, uh, they, and general Amos said, Jeff, what Kent. do you think of these fets, Kent. these fet teams? And, um, I said, they suck, sir. <laughs> he goes, that's not what I'm hearing from the regional commanders. I'm, I'm, well, I go, well, you're getting the bad scoop because, uh, you know, they're – I don't know why what, why these people thought this was a good idea. And General Newbold hits on it in, in his, uh, his writing because uh, you think that the, the Afghans tell their wives stuff? You're wrong. You're wrong. They don't know shit. And not only that, they're, they're loyal. You know, the, the, this is just a bunch of baloney. And they weren't very well vetted, the, the FET team. So well, the girls. Just, let me just tell you, I they, they work for us, right? And yeah. let me just tell you, they were doing the best they can. But again, we talk about you're going to yeah, put you're going to put point. a woman, you're going to put the same weight yeah. on a woman that you you are in a man, and then you're going to put her out in the 110 degrees, and you're going to say, okay, you're going to do what they do, and you're just it's not a realistic expectation. And then That's I can exactly remember, right? And and, and well, you're you asking, hit the nail on the yeah. head. It's nail on the head, and you said willful. People know it, right? People know it, and you know they made it like a big, like it was a great success. Like, well, why are we getting rid of it in 2012? We're still here, you know, right? And uh, it's because it wasn't a great success. No, but let me exactly and let me tell you, you this: said. I'm the opso at Meth Headquarters Group, right? 
And I want to say it's 2013. Uh, would that be right? Uh, Barack Obama's still the president. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Biden coming to uh, the second lady, coming to Camp Pendleton. And who does she want to meet with? Fet, yeah. Fet Marines. And it, and, and they're, we're heralding this as the great success. And women can do everything that men can do in combat. And you watch it. And let me tell you. Those girls tried as hard as they could to contribute yeah. and do yeah. what they did. And it's not, it's not on them. But you're asking them to do something that they just can't sustain, right? They can't do it. And if, and then we're going to say that's combat. And you just, as, as a professional, you sat there and you watched it. And you're just like, this is a political agenda, right, that, that's being shoved down people's throats. And we don't have enough guys. And let me tell well, you, there, yeah. there's a friend of ours who took on a three-star admiral in public, who talked about standards and, and gender integration and whatnot. And a friend of ours stood up and, and asked, it was actually General Tulin, said, sir, when is somebody going to come up, come and tell, tell the truth? And General Tulin kind of gave him an answer. And our friend said, and he looked at General, a three-star looking at a girl saying, does that answer your question? Now, that's code for what? Shut up. Yeah, yeah, that's my answer. And guess well, what? Our, guess what our friend says? No, it doesn't, sir. <laughs> and and yeah. Tulin says, "Hey, why don't we take this up afterwards?" Right? But we don't have enough people to have that discussion. And then you yeah. see this stuff happening, and then you're looking for an adult. Where's the adult that will speak the truth? But Where's Greg Newbold? Where's Tony Zinni? Where's Paul right. Van Riper? And they're t- they're they're more worried about their careers, and they won't say shit. Well. It's even worse than than you th- than you say because the insidious thing about it is, they'll take the virtue of our junior leaders, and it 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 helps their narrative because here's what a junior lead here's what like a team leader who's I had two females on my second advisor team my first advisor team in Afghanistan, and I couldn't put them with the Afghans I couldn't put them out there doing the stuff that I had the males doing, so I had to find a way to use them and they were both they both tried their ass off they were valorous girls valorous women both lieutenants and uh air force and i used them in accordance with their capabilities and so it was effective and that's what happens you find a way whether if you're a fire if you're a fire captain in new york city and you got a, a certain number of females if it gets down to it they can't carry that shit up and down the ladders they can't carry people out of these things but you use them in accordance with their capabilities and so it appears that the unit, there's no change, but there is a change. First of all, it effect, there's an effect on them, a physical effect on them. They break down quick and permanent. And the other thing is, little by little, the unit has more stress on it. I mean, the great thing about Generals Wilson, Barrow, uh, and Gray was they were the great commandants for the lieutenants and the sergeants. The, the guys who had to make whatever bullshit decision you made up at that level work. And so they got rid of the dopers and they got rid of the, you know, the criminals and shit like that because it made those guys, the guys who actually do the job that we're famous for, it made their job, their life a little bit easier, took a rock out of their pack or two. And what we've been getting since then is more rocks put in the packs of the doers. Right. And that's the issue. And when you when you look at those those young women uh, in the field, it, it brings to mind something my favorite Canadian uh, told me when I told him about this. He said, when you watch women trying to do the infantry thing, it's like watching a dog walk on its hind legs. 
It's not done very well, but one wonders why it's being done at all. And that's that's the question. It, well, again, it's being done. Uh, there's a political agenda there. But let me just, if, if a woman wants to do that and, and they can physically do it, have at it, man. I, I mean, I don't care. But but what we get sold is the standards get lowered. And when they're not going to, we get sold the standards aren't going to be lowered, and then they are. And and then you watch it. And again, he makes a point. General Newbold says that special operations and, and ground combat operations, the infantry community, is different, right? He, and his point number three is this. There is only one overriding standard for military capability, lethality. Those office holders who dilute the core truth with civil society's often appropriate priorities, diversity, gender, focus, etc., undermine the military's chances of success in combat. Reduced chances for success mean more casualties, which makes defeat more likely. Combat is the hardest meritocracy that exists, harshest meritocracy that exists, and nothing but ruthless adherence to this principle contributes to deterrence and combat effectiveness. Relevant wisdom. Here's the quote. I shall see no other, no officer under my command is debarred from attending in his first duty, which is and always has been to train the private men under his command and that they that they may be without question beat any force opposed to them in the field. And that is a quote from the Duke of Wellington. And so, again, it's very discouraging. And we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on the program, but but General Milley and the sec- and Secretary Austin, it is what we've seen from them since they've both been appointed, right? And that is, you know, the the almost their political pandering, and and when and you they know, seem and, to be angry men. Uh, so anyway, mm-hmm. any other comments? Will you've been quiet for a while? Any, any thoughts on all of this? I I. You read this, and it's uh, you know it's disappointing that Newbold um, didn't become four-star service chief or something. Yeah. Think of all the documents you've ever read that came out of Pentagon, and um, you know the first write of FMFM one. If you go back and read the first one before it was edited again. Um, clear, concise, uh, very few words wasted. I feel the same thing about this. And wouldn't it be great if leaders had the vision and the communication skill to be able to put something out like this? Because typically, the longer the document is, it's because it's a weak argument. Right. So it's got to be buttressed with whatever. So. You know, yeah. one other point I make, dovetailing off something Jeff said, and that was, um, he there's no anger in the piece, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the anger that he feels, though? Right? Yeah. At at at, at I had a four-star general who I who's, who who I, whose name I won't use right now, who told me everything that happened bad was predicted to have happened happened in the war plan the war plan was there to mitigate everything that happened there we knew it was going to happen we knew that saddam held three factions together 
with a heavy hand and that you had to go there with a heavy footprint in or or you would have a civil war and that that civil war would evolve to a counterinsurgency and he said so watching it happen was one of the most miserable experiences of my life and to say that i was right there is absolutely no satisfaction it makes me want to vomit when you know when when that discussion happens no right. this, this is my country i you know the casualties that we suffered did we really need to ca- suffer them the war dragged out the civilians that were killed did they really have to die he said if we would have executed the war plan that had been developed over the course of years he said there wouldn't have been the death that there was there in my opinion and he said and the fact that everything that was predicted to happen happened makes me want to vomit and so so to me you know much credit to general newbold because he keeps that entirely out of his you know every word have an impact um uh, article that he wrote, his opinion piece that he wrote. So, anyway, any final thoughts, Jeff? Tim? Well, uh, yeah, I do, and this is more a suggestion. Than anything. You know, Mac, we've talked about it before. Who are the great Marine generals, you know, of history? And uh, the, I mean, because of the title general, you're basically talking about a guy who who supervises Marines in battle. And so, even though we admire General Zinni and we admire General Smith. We admired uh, General Newbold here um, because of their moral courage. But, um, you know, we should do a thing, you know, a podcast about the the guys who actually had operational control in a, you know, in a peer type fight, as you've, as you've defined it, you know, earlier, right. uh, and talk about that because, uh, you know, that is rare. For the for the Marine Corps, I can think of General Vandegrift and you know uh, and, and General uh, Ray da- Ray Davis in Vietnam, and above all, Smith. General yeah, O.P. Smith, Smith yeah. O.P. Mm-hmm. Smith above all in 1950. Yeah. You know, but but, um, but Jeff, I don't I don't I don't think to be a great general you have to command in combat. I think you here. I, I mean, I mean, I well, think that the most great generals want to, but but to me, what you have to do is you have to be a fearless and unapolog- unapologetic leader. And a truth yeah. teller for your service, and if, well, and and, uh, and, and uh, I mean, look at General Schaub. I'm General- not talking about. I know I'm not talking about necessarily great. I'm talking okay. about the most, the most effective okay. at their job, at their job, yeah. operationally. But right. um, I have to tell you, you're you're right because the vast majority of time that you spend in any kind of leadership position is on stewardship more than it is on actual battle leadership. And that stewardship, if it's done effectively, will result in success in combat. And and the and the good part of it is, it may not even be you who is running them when they get into combat. Right. You've you have honed and kept a machine running that will efficiently chew the enemy a new asshole when it, when when it finally gets called to task. And that's the uh, you know that's the the conundrum that all general officers have. I think it'd be interesting for us to go through that. You know. No. Maybe nope. maybe it just put out four names and we all talk about it in a future podcast. But. All right, no, noted. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, uh, General Sullivan, his comments, and other other general officers are quoted in a pretty frank assessment um, that has come out. Um, uh, Timmy, uh, your thoughts um, about what you read and and, uh, and General Sullivan's comments in particular. You're muted. 
it is it's it's so disappointing to read well you know what's interesting is that timmy wasn't muted via skype which is normally the way it was he was muted via his um his snowball microphone yeah yeah Yeah. i've got technology he's actually skills dude he's actually using it now as opposed to you know the last few months when he was talking into it but he was actually using the microphone in his <laughs> on my headset i know what an idiot the um so, and i have no idea how that happened but but i, I it was very can very I, tell you, refreshing. I, 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 I can tell you how it happens it's a normally a software update and it will it will affect the audio settings and then you have to go back and reset it so every time you do a um uh, an update, a software update on your computer. You got to go back and yeah. double check that stuff. Oh, that's prop that no doubt is it because little, it never little, happened. Little before. professional pointer there, bro. Hey man, that's why that's why you're hosting the show, bro. Thank you, thank you. But thank uh, you. back back to, to general. Get off so- the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, hey, you get on it all time. I teed Will up for you, and what did you do? You rejected it so you could hop on it. Oh, well, no. I respectfully, Will, such, I respectfully Will, such a wonderful you. man. Let me cuddle up He's to him. Yeah. That's not true. You just because you're the you're the Fuhrer of the podcast. <laughs> I'm not. Mean you're right. I the served time. this shit up to you, and you got and you you cuddled up to him and Mac, gave him a kiss. Mac, Mac. He's scared of me. I know. Oh yeah. Right. He's smarter than you. But he, He's smarter than you. <laughs> but vocally, he refuses to believe that. But then every time he has a chance to whack you, right? He Don't turtles. Forget, he's smart. Jeff is smarter than you, man. No, no, no. <laughs> this is one of them times I got to argue about my smartness. The will will get the IRS on your ass. I, I mean, he's also he cheats at those cards, so you know that. You know, there's more to him, you know, than uh, than just a smart guy who retired. A smart oh, guy yeah. that can count cards is what you meant. To yeah, say. right. Yeah. yeah. He's like, no. hey, hey, I gotta say about Jeff. I don't think Jeff and I, as much as we all used to fuck with each other, I mean, me and Kennedy would go at it, and I loved them. We had great yeah. times. You me, you and me, Mac, and Will, too. I don't think I ever sent a crossword to Jeff in my life. I, and vice nothing, versa. Nothing, nothing but love between the two of us since the day I met him. So why why is that? Will, Will gets cross. I mean, Jeff gets cross with everybody else. I think it was how he met me, which was at range seven, when I was using a range phone to call back to IOC to order pizza from her, Herbivore. So you and, think that, is, that has affected your entire relationship? I think so. Jeff was listening. I didn't even know he was listening. I didn't know, understand that he knew who I was talking to. And I was just doing that as passive aggressive payback for that goddamn first first force recon uh, indoc he put me through. That was horrible. Yeah. But anyway, neither, neither be, here nor there. Am I supposed that- to talk about General Sullivan now? But it could be that you guys are all jack-offs and Tim isn't. Then there's that, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah wow. which was obvious with how he first met me. That, you know, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. Jack-off. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I think I think Jeff was impressed with the uh, with the Loblolly Pine Massacre, too. It did him a lot of favors for future evolutions. <laughs> but, but be that as it may. The Loblolly Pine Massacre is... Tim running the machine guns at range seven, felling how many? Did, all the trees. How many trees did you? Oh, four. I I know because I cleaned them all up. A good 50, 60 of those little bastards. But we but when I was done, we had re, we had a reverse slope where you could do 
uh, um, <laughs> fire, like, yeah. like Killian wanted. Killian wanted to get his compass out, and I said, I'll set this up for you. We'll go down in the draw here and wipe out those trees. This will be fun. And it was fun until, you know, range control came and got excited. Those yeah. Uh, yeah, so then, anyway, got, that's what he's talking about. With when he talked about that massacre, it was a yeah, yeah that yeah. was uh, prob probably. And what did you get? Smart. You got a did you you got a non-punitive letter of caution? Oh yeah, that? oh yeah, I was crushed. But but the but General Allen said, "Well, you're not really doing well unless you got one of these in your folder." I said, "Oh, one? do you have one of these, sir?" One. He said, "I said, do you have one of these, sir?" He goes, "No." <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. He got sideways as a first lieutenant with somebody, and I can't remember who the general was. Was oh, that right? Yeah, that's he, amazing. Yeah, he got sideways with somebody as a, and I think his fitness report reflected it. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I would have yeah. to. I would. I, I don't want to go any further in that story, but uh, but I think yeah, he was. Uh, he was not looking as, as as a captain. He was not looking at the Marine Corps as a as a career <laughs> career anymore. Um, because wow. yeah, because that's, of, that's something I would have never thought. Yeah. But, to, but anyway, to General, back to General Sullivan. Very, very encouraging to read a general officer, uh, um, read about a general officer who's basically telling the truth as he saw it, will put the put as usual in real time as this was happening. Will was the one saying there's a 6,000 foot screwdriver coming in. And General Sullivan just just basically confirm that 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 nothing the administration did uh was very productive in helping them execute this thing and i sent you guys a memo from an august 14th meeting at the white house called summary of conclusions for the meeting of deputies small group and here's the day before kabul fell they're just getting around to saying okay here's our priorities let's go out and contact the female pilots and, i mean this is hours before the taliban are at the door so you can see how far behind we were in DC. And and then and then you get General Sullivan who said flat out that they weren't being helpful, that it was uh, it was difficult to get um to get anybody to understand the urgency, the sense of urgency. And and the subsequent reporting in that story about State Department guys hiding under their beds drunk and stuff like that. Look, bro, I was in charge of the security at the at the embassy in Kabul for a year. I have very little respect for State Department. I mean, I mean, really, I have very little respect for hardly any of them because they just seem to be the kind of people who would get drunk and hide in the corner when the Taliban were coming. I, I mean, sure, there's great people in the State Department. They just seem to not, I've never met one. So I, I just liked to see a general coming out, calling it how it was, giving the president an opportunity to say he completely rejects that, which, you know, fine. Um, and that's I, I just was happy to finally read something from a serving general officer that seemed to hint at the obvious truth in this debacle of, of an operation, which which is a which is a stain on our history. I mean, it's just it's just a total debacle. If you if you look at the Washington Post, lengthy Washington Post article written by uh, Dan Lamoth and one other guy, and I'll get his name in a second. But let me just read a paragraph by mid-July Sullivan. This is Brigadier General Farrell Sullivan. The senior Marine officer involved in planning the evacuation wanted to stage supplies to host 5,000 evacuees at the airport, but his effort was complicated because he was not permitted to discuss the possibilities of a full-scale evacuation with anyone other than 
British officials, he told investigators. Other U.S. military leaders whose names were redacted from the report said there were fears among administration officials that if the United States, by raising the alarm, inspired other governments to quickly leave Afghanistan, it would accelerate the central government's demise. A spokesman for Sullivan referred questions to McKenzie. During an August 6th meeting, a National Security Council official, who is not identified in the report, appeared to lack a sense of urgency and told others involved that if the United States had to, evacu- had to execute an evacuation, it would signal, quote, we have failed, unquote, Sullivan recalled. Quote, this is quoting Sullivan, in my opinion, the NSC was not seriously planning <coughs> was not seriously planning for the evacuation, right? And let me just let me just tell you this. You know, General Sullivan knows how that's going to play in Peoria. Mm-hmm. You know, God bless him. And that, and that is, a, that is in, in the spirit of Greg Newbold. That is what they take, they put their hand up and say, when they answer the question, General, will, uh, will you always speak truth to power? And we always hear, oh, yes, Senator, I, you know, it's, it's me, it's where I'm, Live my whole life. I, you know, I have no pro- problem with it, and then they don't do it. But th- this is the kind of stuff in the article that you're reading, and you're just going, "You got to be kidding me, Jeffrey." Hey, thoughts, hey. Timothy? Yeah, I was yeah. just going to add. He's a one star. That that is a very tenuous perch to be in. Nobody wants to retire from the Marine Corps as a one star. It, it denotes some type of shortcoming mentally in a lot of people's heads to, to them. So you know, a guy making one star. And putting his stinking career on the line, that is that is moral courage. Moral courage on steroids. I don't even know if I could do that if I ever got the one star when I was on active duty. Because you don't want to be stopping there. Jeffrey, thoughts on, on what General Sullivan did? Yeah, I know Farrell pretty good. And uh, he uh, he's uh, since he was a second lieutenant, he's been um, that type of a guy. And uh, the last... Uh, dealings I had with him, he took over either the 22nd or 26th Mew, but I didn't train their Mew because I retired in 2017, but he was, but I talked to him a lot, and, uh, you know, he's always been like this, he's always been straight from the the shoulder, very honest guy, very good Marine officer, and very good uh, leader, you know, a small unit leader that I saw him do, and all the way up to uh, Mew commander and so forth, and, uh, and talking to Lieutenant Colonel Whited, who's now the OIC of ATB here, uh, his direct supervisor was uh, was uh, Farrell Sullivan during the uh, evacuation at Kabul. And uh, he can't say enough good stuff about about Farrell uh, Sullivan. So, and this is the fact that he's come out and said that is uh, emblematic of the guy, I think. Uh, Will, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't know uh, Farrell Sullivan. Figure he's he's got to be two, three years junior to me. Um, I knew some people that knew him. Always spoke very highly of him. Um, you know, to to put some context in this, right? He did not seek uh, the opportunity to talk about this. This was an official Army investigation, so they interviewed him uh, as part of the investigation. Um, so it's not like he went out. And is looking to pick a fight with somebody. Right. He got investigated about he did not get investigated. There was an investigation to determine, uh, you know, lessons learned, everything else about it. Uh, and so they interviewed senior Marine on the ground. Um, 
to me, the most interesting, so this is a 2,000 page report I heard. Yes. 2,000 pages. The president was asked about it and he rejected the whole thing. Right. Oh, kind of like I the am, ground combat integration study. Go, so got, no, 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 no. <laughs> exactly willing, right. Exactly right. I am willing to wager. Well, that's that saying something for you. That the president did not read one word right. of that report. Right. Not one word. And he rejected it. You know, some, some interesting things came out in that is that as they're in execute mode, one of the challenges they had is all the special interests that came out. And I don't know if this happened in Liberia, but it happened to me in Sierra Leone. You know, we thought, or we heard that the office of the vice president had a special interest in some people that had been left behind. So, so our NEO that we did in Sierra Leone, we went ashore, we took out about 800 people. Uh, we came back to the ship. Uh, we knew that there were Americans left behind. We talked to several of those Americans, and they didn't want to leave. Next day, we get told, oh, you left people behind. We said, yeah, we know we did. Well, you got to go get these people. Says who? No, oh, we heard it's the office of the vice president. We go back. Uh-huh. Third day, we got to go back in again. And that time I said, fuck all of this. I'm never going to that country again. And we took every single person that we could lay our hands on and get them back out. I, I again, I would wager... There is 100% truth to this idea that you have very competent military planners who, under adverse circumstances, i.e. not enough time, put together the best plan they can. And then the good idea fairies come out of the woodwork with certain considerations. And uh, when you're that far away, it's just really hard to tell people, hey, we thought about those things. They were part of this kind of a plan. It was rejected, so we're executing to this task. And General Newbold talks about that. General Newbold talks about exactly that too. Yeah, and the idea fairs. And and in the end, you can draw a very straight line from Jill Biden, all the other people who get involved late. The Pope. The Pope, and you can draw a straight line. What the fuck? From those people. To thirteen dead Marines. Right, that is and again, a straight line. And I think that blood is on their hands. And so, and then, yeah, you you read this right. This quote, the General Newbold, right? They enjoy playing poker with someone else's chips. And then the fucking right. Secretary of State stands up and said, "This is personal for me." Fuck you, man. You don't even know what fucking personal is, man. You ever you ever right. you ever zip them into a bag? You ever fucking give your blood to save one of their fucking lives? Fuck no. You know, and then and you and, and again, he's the one that passes that. He's not the one who gets on the phone to tell the White House, "Hey, we are in dire straits. There, there will be no more of this. They 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 are risking everything to do this thing." And let me just um, let me just read you another paragraph of um, Sullivan, the Marine General, told investigators that they were changing expectations about how many people associated with the Afghan par- paramilitary units aiding the evacuation needed to be taken out of the country. Now, again, m- mind you, you couldn't even discuss this subject because it wasn't allowed. So now when they get to it, right, the article goes on. He finally, he initially thought there was 6,000 people. 
including strike unit members and their families, but later learned the correct number was about 38,800 and advised that if it would be wise for the military to request commercial airline help through the Civil Air Reserve fleet to increase overall flights. Additionally, U.S. troops were overwhelmed with thousands of requests from the, thousands of the quests, requests from the White House and Congress, and as far as and away as the Vatican, to locate and rescue specific people in the crowd, including some who would not otherwise have been eligible for evacuation. And you, so you read this shit, and you guys, uh, what's very good about having, you know, Will and Jeff here, and they've executed neos. I mean. I mean, you're, you're reading this, and it's like, it reminds me of General Mattis' quote, there is no God-given right to success on the battlefield, right? But these people right. act like, oh, we're Americans. It's just all going to fucking work out. And as Will said, there's 13 dead Americans because of this shit. And because we take this shit for granted, we're not hard enough, and, we do, and all these enablers at the State Department, at the DOD, is fucking disgusting. So with that said, Jeffrey... Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Obviously, I agree with all that. Uh, the, the, you know, the rule we had with neos in Liberia was, when in doubt, take them out. And I don't mean kill them. I mean take them out of Liberia, right? <laughs> and uh, the, uh, but looking at the Afghan thing and talking to people who were involved in it, you know, actual people who were involved in it, um, most of the people who got taken out were just people who showed up. And the reason was there was no vetting, is because. They wanted an optic of a lot of bodies being taken out of Afghanistan, even though they weren't the right bodies. Matter of fact, most of the right bodies got left in there, you know. And uh, uh, and because everything got started so late, there was you guys already covered all this, you know. But uh, the, uh, the 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 normal considerations of Neo got wrapped up in, you know, um, uh, the the need or the perceived need of our command authority, national command authority to, to uh, prop up the narrative, the narrative, you know, above the actual facts on the ground. And so, and that's awful. That's so awful. You can't, you can't believe it, you know? And it's, it's a, it's no wonder that uh, you get, it's not just general Sullivan either. If you, if you, if you read the comments of the, of the Navy Admiral, the, uh, the seal guy there, he gets kind of bitter too about this, you know. I mean, he's not. He, he also comes real close to saying, you know, the, we got screwed over by our national command authority. I met Farrell Sullivan when he was chief of staff, second Marine division. I don't think I, I I had ever met him before that. And everybody you spoke to um, about him that asked, "Oh, Mac, do you know General Sullivan?" You know, and after I met him, they universally hold him in high regard. And obviously his conduct here is, um, is as Jeff said, is emblematic of everything that his career has been. You know, but it does stand in stark contrast to what we see on a regular basis, which is the bobblehead, the high-functioning conformist that is the Department of Defense. And that that is the norm. And it's just, um, it's sad. And, and um the article ends with this quote by General Sullivan. I am not particularly soft as adversity comes with our duties, he said, but this was an extremely challenging situation. 
And it was made challenge. It was made more challenging by the political decisions of, you know, the president of the United States, the State Department, and the Secretary of Defense. And and you're going to go put those people in harm's way, and you and you hold their lives in little regard, right? Mm. And again, it's it, we just see it, you know, and it's disgusting. And you don't see enough people standing up and telling the truth. And uh, so anyway, well, I. You, uh, Will, uh, I Will was say, going to say something. You know, the, uh, again, this is part of a formal interview process um, that's being recorded. Uh, maybe that's the lesson, and 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 I don't, I, I don't know Sullivan. Everything I know about him, everything that you guys say is like this would not have mattered if this is going to be recorded, not recorded for attribution, not for attribution. The guy's going to say it exactly that way. Um, but perhaps that's where we're going. Uh, if you can't, uh, get the high quality people across the board that had just believe that and believe in this article, like general Newbold, we're going to have to have some sort of a surveillance state where every single discussion is going to have to be recorded and released, uh, so that, that we know who said what, when it matters uh, at that time. And, uh, isn't that an indictment? of the entire thing so um yeah here's another that the 2000 page report um we won't actually do anything with that but i gotta tell you if you're a if you're a leadership instructor at command and staff college you want to pull some of this stuff out and put that in the curriculum this is what we're trying to build here uh so all right what do you read you tim what do you read you you can take as long as you fucking want now, right? And watch you bitches. You'll, you'll, you'll at least talk for 30 seconds I, and then fucking I, be done. Yeah, no. Dirty white boys. Jeff already talked about it. I'm done. But I, I wanted to add... <laughs> I, I just wanted to add something, and that is the day that they gave up Bagram, the ability to be do a Neo was come totally compromised, which we said on the 1st of July on on this program. On there, that there was epic, no on that epic series of programs, right? The Daily Ops Intel. No, no, on 1 July, on 1 oh, July, go back and listen to the pre, podcast. Pre Daily Ops that. Intel. That's right. We, that's, we, we, that's how, that's what a clear view you get from this program, yeah. right? Yeah, and and so as I'm looking And actually, all this, these... this is how hard it is, okay? Um, I often call myself the Socrates of the fruit that's hanging on, that's sitting on the ground. It's not even low ripe hanging, right? It has already fallen off the tree. It's in a pile at the bottom of the tree and I just take it and put it in a basket, right? That's what that was. Any idiot who knows anything about a Neo looks at that and says, look where it is, right? You've now, you don't have the facilities that you need for the throughput, blah, 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 blah. And then what was the response? Oh, we don't think that's a problem. Because our force cap, we didn't have enough forces on the force cap, as if they didn't put them there themselves. Yeah, that's because you withdrew them, motherfucker. Yeah. And, and, anyway. and as you read more about this evacuation, that 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 little outer corridor of, of CIA assets, those were the Unit 02, Unit 03, Unit 04, and apparently that the, the one gate that most of the interpreters were trying to get through was guarded by Unit 02 out of Jalalabad. And I know those assholes. Those guys uh, detained me one time, pricks. And um, they were chasing non-Pashto out of there. So my, my thing is, is that I'm pissed at the, C 
that the CIA had these unit guys running around that was that were so insular. I look at the photos, particularly after that suicide bomb, and I was looking at some some articles as we were preparing today, and I see this woman with her mother, and they've got shrap in the face and they're bleeding, and I recognize her. That's the the president of Nangaharu's daughter. I know her from the MIT people hosting them over there because she's one of the few Afghan women I've ever seen their face of, you know, outside of my friend's mother's. So this whole goddamn thing is so embarrassing because it makes us look like unprofessional fools. And I'm reading Dirty White Boys because Jeff said it. I'm done on the thing. It's good. It, it's good. And it's not politically correct. And I'm in a I'm in a mood for non-PC material these days. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Jeffrey, what are you reading? I um, I got a, a book recommended to me that I haven't got yet, but it's a book. It's a biography of Robert Rourke, who was a highly, a very popular writer in the 50s and early 60s. He wrote about Africa. Uh, he wrote a book called Something of Value. He wrote another one called uh, Uhuru, which is Swahili for freedom. He wrote about the emergency in Kenya in 1953 where uh, – you know, a bunch of white farmers were slaughtered by uh, basically Mau Mau. You guys have heard of the Mau Mau rebellion yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote he wrote that. And so uh, he wrote a lot of other good books, too. He's kind of like a, a an offshoot of Ernest Hemingway, but, uh, you know, combat veteran of, uh, of the U.S. Navy during the Second World War in the uh, northern Atlantic. And uh, so I'm getting that. And I have got it from my buddy Kirkaby, who uh, is a published, high, you know, oft-published author himself and um you know he i'm gonna get it i just haven't gotten it yet but i'm looking forward to reading that and i'll i'll uh, review it the next time we do uh you know what are you reading so i guess basically the short answer is i ain't reading shit man <laughs> <laughs> but i'm i'm preparing to read so you know what i should be so savvy as to say that i'm not ready. i know you're not anything though, but, but you're not so let's just move on man. <laughs> <laughs> Will, what are you reading? This is actually the moment, right, that everybody waits for in the program when Will talks about what he reads because, you know, given his gigantic intellect and, and our august respect for him, I mean, this is like the most riveting program of the show, part of the show. William? Penthouse Letters. <laughs> Go ahead. I am actually reading a book called The Future of Money. Oh. By a guy named Prasad, P-R-A-S-A-D. It's uh, it's actually, I thought it was going to be about like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and I think it eventually is, but it's all about finance between now and then. And I saw an article in Barron's, and some guy recommended it, and I said, you know, I haven't read a book sort of out of my wheelhouse in a long time, so I'm going to pick it up. The Future of Money, because I don't understand Bitcoin and yeah, cryptocurrency or none of that stuff. And I said... Uh, hopefully I live long enough that it's relevant. So I better learn something about it. I don't understand Bitcoin either, but then I don't even understand the coins we had before that. So, well, you know, yeah. I got a ways to go back. Don't forget yeah. Jeff's. I thought you Jeff's said I was wife. smarter than you. I'm smarter than, I don't even know that shit yet. I'm smarter than Mac according to Will. I think yeah. he's had a head. He might've had head trauma. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Jeff's Jeff's wife would never give him a checkbook or a credit card, and would give him three dollars to get a haircut. Couldn't understand that haircuts cost three fifty. So you know, I've lived a life of 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 suffering. 
and everyone knows it. <laughs> Yet I still keep my cheerful and, and open demeanor. <laughs> don't forget it's cocktail hour in Southern California. Well, yeah. I'm you want you want to hear a great quote? Someone's reaction to the truth is beyond my control. My oath demands my fidelity, and my fidelity demands that I tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. Michael Francis McNamara. Yeah, how about that? I'm, I haven't read, but I could fucking spin a quote. Yeah, so that ought to be fucking blasted into a piece of fucking rock someplace. Um, I wanted to um, give you the name of the book about the container shit, um, but I can't find it. I don't know what the hell... How how long ago was that that we had that discussion? Was it three, two weeks, three ago, weeks maybe ago? Maybe three. Yeah, it was at least two. I can't find the name of the fucking book, and I had it too. But there you go, there you go. Um, I'm not doing. I'm not. I'm not reading anything. This will shock everybody. You never read anything. Man. I'm just. I'm just doing the Lord's work around the world. Helping people and uh, trying to do the best I can while you shitbags sit on your asses and read books. So I hope you feel good about yourself. <laughs> yeah. In your, in your hollow ass lives full of literature while I go around and save the world. So fuck off, all three of you. I've got a safe round though, brother. And I, no, I when, saw... hey, w- once I tell you to fuck off, there are no safe rounds, Tim. That's that's the rule of being a moderator. Because if I allow you to say something, that I know I'm going to hear it from the other two snarky fuckers. Okay, you're, you're the Fuhrer of See, the podcast. There you like go. There's you know what I mean. I'm the oldest. What? Is it some kind of seniority thing? Being an old man? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. I watch. I saw this YouTube thing. Marine, Marine's got himself a, a GoPro, and it's really good audio and visual going to go back to Pelton and see, you know, talk about the times when he was in the Marine Corps. And I, and I was thought, thought I just had a plane in the background while I was doing something, but he's at fifth Marines. And apparently he goes up whatever the hell Mount motherfucker is for fifth Marines. That's what we called it at first. And there's crosses. First Sergeant Hill. First Sergeant Hill. Yeah. First Sergeant I've Hill. never, I've never, I, I don't think that was there when I was in the Marine Corps. I was no, touched. It's, it's I was a, touched. I thought that was. Iraq, man. Yeah, I thought that was the, the coolest thing I've seen. Made you emotional seeing it. And, and it's a ton of shit up there. Crosses and dog tags. And, and he's taking a beer to leave next to his buddy who had passed. And I just was, I was very moved. Very same moved thing above, it. same thing up on, Hor- up above Horno too. Yeah, I told my wife it had to be the same in Horno too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, what, I mean, and those are our places. Nobody else knows yeah. about them. Nobody else goes up there. Those are... Yeah. You know, those are our places, and those are sacred. And if you ever go up there and spend any time, you see all the, you know, guys go up there alone. You know, you'll see whiskey bottles. You'll see their decorations. You'll see name tags. You'll see, I mean, you'll see all kinds of shit, personal mementos, pictures and shit that they've taken up there to to spend time with their friends in a sacred place that only belongs to us. And it is truly, I mean, it's a version of Valhalla for us. It is. We go up there, and, and and you know, you spend time in the in the mountains of Kent Pendleton, you know, beautiful views up there, and uh, you know, to to miss your friends who aren't with us anymore. So yeah, they, yeah. They, they listen to those dog tags clicking when he wasn't talking in the wind. Yeah, yeah. powerful, sure. powerful. The book is called "To Rule the Waves." Right, that is the book that that started Fisher. the. Uh, no, no, no. That's the rule. <laughs> that's that's the book that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that uh, is uh, is the container book. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And actually, Joe Furness gave it, that, told me about that book. He said, yeah. He said, it's a great book. He said, uh, and he said, it's uh, really interesting to, uh, it's really interesting to read it and to see the revolution in container shipping. And uh, I'll read you, let's see, here's a little synopsis. From a brilliant Brookings Institution expert on an important Wall Street Journal, quote, and penetrating historical political study on the critical role that the oceans play in the daily struggle for global power in the best-selling tradition of Robert Kaplan's The Revenge of Geography. This is To Rule the Waves, written by Bruce D. Jones. Right, and uh, that's the book that uh, spawned our little discussion, which I thought was very fascinating. I thought Will's mostly correct uh, uh, insight were, yeah. And then Jeff takes it from mostly correct and gives him a fifty percent. Uh, well, yeah. See, I misquoted my brother because he thought Will's stuff was. I think Will's. I mean, who the fuck knows about boxes, man? He's just using a lot of big words and making us think that. But uh, no, my brother said. He was a train. He was a train guy. They move boxes all the time. I don't know if you've seen a train lately, but that's what they do. I think I'm going to end up as a hobo on a train, Mac. <laughs> to tell you the truth, so you know. <laughs> no, you won't. You won't. You have a retirement. My dad. One of my dad's. Me. One of my dad's best fucking insults was, "You weren't born. You two boxcars bumped together, and you fell out of a hobo's ass." <laughs> that's a lot. Thanks, dad. dad. First of all, your dad didn't make that up. Somebody no, said I, I somebody said that to him, right? Well, that's yeah, that's East Coast type. Problem. Yeah, that's you old. Know? That's old Irish, Italian, Ukrainian <laughs> humor when they yeah. when they when you piss them off. But anyway, all right, boys. Look, uh, we will do this again uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Boy, and... I can hardly wait. <laughs> 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 the um, and we'll talk uh, current events. But no, I, I just. I thought it was necessary because uh, the tectonic plates of leadership uh, in the military, I think, have been rocked this last uh, last week by uh, General Newbold's article, and then also um, the um, the very very candid views that come out in that article that Dan Lamoth uh, wrote uh, for the Washington Post and in that report. But the report has yet to be released, right, Timmy? You were checking on that. That's a heavily yeah, redacted report that has not been released to the public. But somehow Lamoth got a copy of it, right? Yeah, Washington Post apparently got it through a Freedom of Information Act. That's what they said. The but there's, only no, thing there's could, no hyperlink to the report in no, the article. No, the, right. the only thing I found were those notes that I sent you guys from the August 14th uh, meeting in the White House. And, and those were pretty damn redacted, too. Right, right. I'm headed to Alaska. I'm going to Anchorage, Alaska to spend a, a few days with the with the Air Force. How about that? Ever Good been? for you. Yeah. Ever been up there? Uh, I've only just stopped in there, going to Afghanistan and going to Okinawa, stuff like that. Never spent exactly. any time Exactly. Same, same with me. Yeah, same but so, so, yeah, so I'll get a chance to spend a few days there. And so, <laughs> so like, uh, and then, you know, do some speaking and hopefully change some lives. So, uh, so while I'm doing that, enjoy your fucking books, man, sitting on your ass and doing shit. So, uh, and just know that we all love you and we're all proud of you for doing that. <laughs> hey, we're going to get cards. We're going to be playing cards and smoking cigars, too, so fuck you. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs>
See what I mean about leaving? It's not a waste leaving, of life. <laughs> leaving, <laughs> about leaving right after you finish saying it, you have to, or else this is what you invite. And Jeff's sitting there, like, thinking up some pithy thing to say, trust me. He's being silent, but we all know that's not his true nature. So, Jeffrey, have a great week. Thanks. I'm talked out, man. I got nothing left. I, I expended all rounds on this last fucking range. Leaving it all on two. That's cool. On that, on that call of rounds complete. We're done. That'll do it. On a special edition of the Mensa Brothers. Uh, My thanks to Will, Jeff, and Tim for taking time out of the day and accommodating my schedule in order for us to do this. Uh, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, you know, are you guys going to talk about this? And the, and the response was, hell yeah, we will. Um, you know, and again, it, I believe it's at the core of, you know, the high-functioning conformist problem that the upper end of the Department of Defense has on the enlisted side and in particular on the officer side. And again, as Will said, every meeting of the Senate Armed Service Committee ought to start with that. Every meeting that high-level meeting that uh, at the General Officer Symposium, the three stars meet at something called the Executive Officer, Executive Officer Symposium, I think like that, something like that. Everybody had to read that and rededicate themselves to that purpose because let me just tell you, um, the Chinese are gaining on us and we're going to pay for it at some point unless somebody begins to do the right thing. On that note, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Mean Radio. Again, my thanks to my friends, the Mensa brothers as they're known. And uh, my thanks to you for listening. If I can help you help somebody, do not be afraid to reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to. Um, So have a great day. I'm out.